Pete Yost here. Jake and Steve and I just want to thank Huber Engineered Woods for their sponsorship of our Unbuild It podcast. It's easy to speak well of a company when they use building science and systems thinking to develop working systems for high-performance buildings. That certainly goes for the ZIP system. The ZIP system integrates all four control layers, water, air, vapor, and thermal. Its components, polymer-bonded coating on OSB, acrylic PSA tape, stretch sill pan flashing, and liquid flash sealant are all top-of-the-line building products, compatible and designed for durability. Throw in the ZIP R panels for continuous exterior insulation, and that's all four control layers. Seem a bit too good to be true? Then consider their system 30-year warranty, their complete online set of info resources, and their top-notch tech hotline. Be the best with the best. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Unbuild It podcast. I'm here with my buddy Jake and my buddy Pete. And uh, today's topic is one of a really huge interest to me. With, with our times these days, with the internet, Instagram, websites, podcasts, videos, etc., etc., there is a ton of information out there. And we all have ways of doing things. We all have ways that we've been taught to do things. But how do we disseminate that, that information? How do we break it down and understand what is the right information, what is the bad information? Because when you get into times like this where it's so widely available and the, the spectrum of information is so wide, you sit there and, and you have to ask, well, how, how do I... How do I figure this out? How do I do it? And I think one of the, the huge problems with the industry is we really don't have a way to set up and place value and prioritize our decision-making process. Um, almost daily, I, I look at things on Instagram, and, and I don't have the heart to respond to all of them, but I see things. Some things make me cringe, you know, and I say, oh, my God, I would never do that. And then there's some things that go, yeah, I mean, that's maybe okay, but I think it's overkill or, wow, you know, that just doesn't seem right to me. It solves for this, but it doesn't solve for that. So how, how do we prioritize that? And I think today is, is going to be a really great discussion with the three of us to talk about how, how we, as the three of us, builder, architect, and building scientists, how we apply those filters and get through that and apply value and prioritize these decisions. But before we take that deep dive, Jake is uh, just chomping at telling us a story here. So he's got a little anecdotal story he's going to share with us. So I realized when we were talking about recording this topic uh, that this this equates to uh, the Dairy Dairy Queen... Butterfinger Blizzard for me, Pete. Pete, is uh, Dairy Queen a national chain? Do they have that in the uh, People's Republic of Vermont? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and remember, I get around. I've, I've seen them other places, too. <laughs> okay. So when I was like 13 years old, I decided that the Butterfinger Blizzard was the blizzard of choice for me. Mm. And it took me 15 years to try any other flavor, any other version of that when my family went on Sunday afternoons or, or whenever it was to Dairy Queen, uh, it was a Butterfinger Blizzard. And I realized that the Butterfinger Blizzard was, uh, number one, I knew that it worked. I knew that it satiated my taste for soft serve ice cream with candy in it. 
And number two, I knew it was safe. I knew that I wasn't going to screw up my taste buds or have to throw something away because I didn't like the way it tastes. And I thought that was the ultimate version of builders changing and builders access to information because we get stuck in this idea of, well, I know how to do it and I'm going to do it the way I know how to do it because I know that the way that I do it works. And very often there are other things out there, Oreos, M&Ms, things like that, that (laughs) might be better for our, for our situation. But sometimes we're blind to that. Sometimes the intake of information doesn't even happen. Sometimes we don't give it the opportunity. So I think that while we talk about the access to information, I think we need to also talk about the opportunity to challenge ourselves as well. Jake, I feel like I understand you so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> it's And it took me a long time to realize that too. <laughs> so I, I, I love your story, Jake, and, and being a guy who probably hasn't missed many meals myself, you know, you sit down at that restaurant and you say, okay, what am I going to order out of the menu? Man, I love steak, but you know what? Today, let me try the swordfish or whatever. You get the swordfish and you realize, you know, I should have just got the goddamn steak because that's, that's what I like and that's what I, I should have got. Why did I do this? But what it really boils down to when we talk about the building industry as an architect, a builder, and, and Peter gets to see it on the backside as a building investigator, building scientist is it boils down to one word for me, risk, right? Everything that we do is about risk. We take people's money. We apply either a service or a product. As an architect, obviously, I'm delivering a service. And as a builder, you're delivering a product, Jake. As a building investigator, hopefully Peter never becomes involved in the project, Um unless he's consulting on the front end to help us build a better building, which he does also. So, but, but it really boils down to risk. And a lot of people have an aversion to change because it's risky. Like you moving away from that butterfinger means I'm taking a risk. And do I really like hot fudge or do I really like Milky way or whatever, whatever the other flavors were, um, and but, it's safer uh, to as, not as builders, know. Yeah, it's yeah. safer to stay in that place. That risk is such a uh, a daunting thing, not only in ice cream but in building. Well, I, I I think as architects and builders, it just as industry professionals, the the residential building industry is a, it's a pretty wide spectrum, right? It's not necessarily um, you know like a like a if, if I'm a brain surgeon. Right. Then I'm concentrating on a brain surgeon. I really don't have to understand how the heart works or how the vascular system necessarily works. I mean, I probably have a vague understanding, but being in a building professional, there's so much that, for example, yourself, Jake, there's the risk in building the building. There's a risk in knowing your subcontractors. There's a risk in knowing what they're supposed to be doing, how they're going to deliver it. And the risk of your business. Yeah. You know, right? and this whole issue, Jake brought up a really interesting point about risk is um, like, I don't want to know. I, I, you know, do I really want to know how my building is not working? Um, I was doing a full day building science training for AIA New Hampshire. And the president of AIA at the end of the presentation, you know, everybody's looking around the room like, holy crap, we're screwed. You know, we thought we understood how our buildings were working. We don't. And he, <laughs> and, and he stood up and he said, 
I'm going to hire you to come and look at at least a half a dozen of my projects that are 10 years old to, to see how they're doing. And everybody else said, that's crazy. That's too risky. Yeah. And his response was, are you serious? It's not crazy to uh, find out the risk. It's crazy not to. He, he wanted to know how his buildings were doing so that he could sleep at night and uh, change the things that need to be changed and stick with the things that work. So, you know, that, that risk is like, if you don't know how close to the cliff you are, then you should be more frightened than not. But there is that information that we, uh, you know, if I don't know what I don't know, then I don't know. And, and we get stuck in that sometimes, especially as builders or as consumers, where you're just like, yeah, this thing works because I know it works. And that's it. Not, oh, I don't know why this doesn't work, or I don't know how to fix that if it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I wanted to say, too, that in my work, there's a number of times where I get called in by, say, the builder or the architect, and then there's a decision to made that I will either work for the client or the builder or the architect. And boy, when they turn me over to the client, now, I ha now I'm going to be responsible for looking at not only what I've been asked to investigate, but every other aspect of building performance. And so very quickly on a number of projects, the client starts to know more about how buildings work than either the builder or the architect. And that is a very scary uh, scenario for building professionals. And, and you're right. No the internet is out there. There's tons of information. The question is, is your client going to be able to separate out the useful information from the noise? And because uh, they're going to get they're going to get a lot of education pretty quickly if they if they start to search at night on building science and and building performance. Yeah. Steve, are you still there? Okay. Yeah. So lead us on this uh, this conversation, Steve. Tell me uh, tell me what you think about decision making and where you think we're headed. So, I mean, it, it's one one of the privileges again that I had of, of working at Building Science Corporation is is and working with Joe and, and Betsy and and the other fine people there too. Peter's Peter's brother, you know, Coda, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, Joe had kind of a checklist you walked into a building it's like okay let's ask these couple questions to the facilities manager you know is your project under or the building under negative pressure positive pressure what's going on here um, but he had a whole series of questions because he was able to kind of generate kind of a, a, a certain profile of what's happening in the building and one of the interesting things that Joe would always say is, you know, that the guy that's actually the facilities manager probably knows more about the building than he actually thinks he knows because you start having a conversation. He just doesn't know how to take that information and put it into the proper profile to understand what that information is. And I think a lot of that is true with a lot of in industry professionals. I'm not suggesting that people don't know. They don't know how to put that profile together to ask the right question, to um, mitigate risk, or just understand how to develop that, you know, as an architect, how do I develop that detail? What are, what are my four things or five things that I'm worried about, and in what order am I worried about them, right? Um, 
it's uh, it, it, it's a challenge for the industry. When this when we were at the build show, we uh, had lunch with Ellie, and she was asking, "What do I think was the the biggest problem with and the you industry?" Mean Ellie, and Ellie the Apprentice. Said, Sorry, I got we got a Ellie the Apprentice on Instagram, and you know, very sharp girl, and she she just blatantly asked, How, "What do I think the problem was?" And I says, "Our ability to make decisions." is very challenging in our industry. Peter and I, you know, he can attest to it, and I'll, I'll let him chime in on it, but we, we travel around the country annually, and we talk to crowds of architects, builders, manufacturers, product suppliers, etc. And, you know, a lot of them don't ask questions of how or why we do things. They ask the question of what's the solution? How, how do I do this? Hey, I have this house, you know. At the end of every one of our sessions, we get flooded with people coming up to the stage and showing me pictures of their recent project, and they want to know what, what should I use here? What should I use for a rain screen? What should I use there? Well, the, the reality of material selection to me is is it's the one that's installed right not necessarily the material selection itself and so understanding what are my goals drives me to do i get something that's only three-eighths or something that is just a little bubble on a building paper or do i go for the gusto and get something that provides a three-quarter inch or one inch space behind there Right. What what yeah. drives that? And, you know, I have developed uh, building science curriculum for everything from high school vocational students all the way up through, you know, graduate students at Yale. And every single time what I'm told is our curriculum is too jammed. There simply isn't room for building performance. And that's a very scary answer. Um, but it is the same answer all across the board that, you know, there's just no room for this in the curriculum. Um, I even had one architecture student who when they went to the head of the department and said, you know, why aren't we learning more about hydrothermal performance in building science? And the head of the architecture department said, oh, yeah, you're going to learn that on the job. And, you know, there's a scary <laughs> thought. Um, but, but it's a problem in our industry that we simply don't, um, we don't give the time that's needed to figure out how buildings actually work. And I think from the builder's perspective, the decision-making process is literally, oh, well, what did your lumberyard rep talk to you about in the last three weeks? For most builders, that's the, that's the problem, is that we let manufacturers and, and reps dictate what your decision-making process is, which could be a good thing if they're repping and trying to push a good, better product than what you're currently using, but they don't know the goals of your building. They know what margins they're supposed to hit, and they know who they're supposed to talk to to sell more stuff, but they don't know the goal of your building. Well, that's that's one of the other problems with the industry is that you have a large component of the industry that is trying to sell a product. And so trying to get the right information from the right people that is somewhat impartial is also a challenge, right? Because I, I talk to a lot of people and, you know, it's, uh, I, I give you a real quick example here, but, uh, I don't know, eight months ago, a builder friend of mine says, Hey, we're going to this evening, uh, dinner thing that's sponsored by our lumber yard. And we're going to have a couple product reps there that are going to give little small presentations 
on their uh, information. And I won't get into exactly what they were talking about, but I, I go to these things because I'm trying to get my finger on the pulse of the industry. Because um, as part educator, I want to make sure that I'm understanding exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, when I say something that it makes sense to everybody because that's what I feel is happening out there. But anyways, this product manufacturer rep gets up there and he starts bad-mouthing another product and talking about the product that he's repping. Well, the reality is, is that the numbers he had were all wrong. And in his claim against the other product was all wrong. The claim that he was making about his product was all wrong. And I couldn't sit there. I raised my hand and I asked just a couple simple <laughs> questions because I have that set of filters. And the answer I got from him, believe it or not, and I'm quoting him here, was, well, I don't really know. That's what they told me to say. That's and brutal. So, so that is, is just heart-wrenching. Telling this, this, and he was much younger. I mean, he was probably in his late 20s, an early salesman for a product company. But he's only going there and saying, yeah, talk bad about this, say this, and then say these numbers and we'll, we'll look good. Well, but the problem is, like you said, Jake, is you, now you have a room full of builders. And if you don't have the ability to take that information, break it down, unbuild it, and then put it back together, then you really are either sitting there saying, I'm going to do what I normally do, or, oh, my God, I'm going to go out and buy a truckload of this product because it sounds so damn good. And uh, and that's what they're obviously hoping that you're going to do. But uh, it's it's really, really scary to, as, you know, someone who understands a little bit about this stuff to sit back and hear some of this stuff going on. I was going to say, so I guess – what what advice do we have to for building professionals on this alley of um, separating out you know the good news or or the good information from the bad? And I think part of it is that um, there there's real success stories out there about builders, architects, building code officials, and building product manufacturers who are taking the high road. They're saying, yeah. One way to make more money to sell more product to give better advice is to understand how buildings work and you know make a profit that way. Yeah, so why don't I walk you guys through what my process looks like? And uh, I don't know that my process is figured out. It's what's happened so far from us or for us. Uh, Go for it. my 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 starting point is, the ancillary you hear a builder talk about a product you see a builder on instagram using something or i i read something in a magazine and i go okay well i don't know what that is or why they're using that instead of why they're using x instead of y so then i start by looking for a local rep somebody that i can catch in person face to face tell me about your product i let that local rep tell me anything they want to tell me without very little challenge and i then go back to the website and look for their technical department. And so then I call the tech department and I ask the questions that I feel like the rep rose in my, that brought up in my, in my mind. And then the next thing I do is I look for litigation regarding that product. Hmm. 
So after I feel like I have a firm understanding of the how and why the product is supposed to work and who manufactures it and what their goal is for the product, I look to see if that company is being sued for that product. Which, believe it or not, if you look deep enough, you can see just about every company on the planet being sued over something that they make. You have to discern through that. Uh, but then it goes to the simplest means possible. I ask the people in the industry that I respect uh, what their opinion is on it. And by that time, I normally feel like I have a firm grasp of whether or not I'm going to I'm interested in exploring that product any further, whether or not I feel like that product should be something that we should all be exploring any further. And I have to admit, most of the time when I get to that point where I start talking to Steve or, or you, Pete, about the product, I'm either sold or completely against it by mm. that point. And then my mind gets changed again by talking to you guys or talking to other builders that I have great respect for. Uh you know, it's and it's a weird, long process that doesn't lead me anywhere most of the time. Yeah. You know, um, the locally we have this group called the Sustainable Energy Outreach Network, which is a group of building professionals that meets once a month for about three hours. And, um, you know, the idea is that uh, that Sam Levinson quote, you can never live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. So you have to learn from the mistakes of others. Um, if you have a high performance building community, you know, locally, or you build one, um, it's a huge resource. I look at a lot, a lot more buildings than say an architect or a builder does because of the nature of my work, but I still don't look at enough to, you know, look for decent patterns. And so collectively we can be a lot smarter than we are individually. So I think it's important to go and look, you know, out in the ether sphere for what you can find. But it's also really important to have a strong local building community. Yeah, and, I, and I'm gonna—I mean, you're throwing out quotes. I feel obligated here, so I'm gonna—I'm gonna go on uh, our good buddy Mike Gerton, right? When he came at the Fine Home Building Summit and said, you know, none of us is smart as is as yeah. smart as all of us, and you know, trying to trying to get that information, but. You know, back, backing up a second, it's so what, why is this all important and what do we do? What do we do when it comes to information, right? So I jotted down a couple of quick notes here that I'm going to run through. And, you know, what, what I find really interesting as we get, as I get older, is all those cliches in the world and the things that people tell you that you ignored and thought you could reinvent the wheel. Well, the reality is, is a lot of those things exist because they work. Right. So let's talk about the, the this idea of information. And I'm going to talk about the why, the how, the what and the where. Right. So where do I get my information? Obviously, I want to get it from an unbiased source. So I have to be very careful about the minute I hear something that triggers a response in my head that says, oh, hmm, that's interesting. The first question I should ask, well, who's the person talking? Who's the, who's the, where's the source mm -hmm. of this information? Is there a bias to it? Is it unbiased? Where is it coming from? Um, you know, what, what is that information about? Is it relative to something I'm doing? And the, the most important thing is, is why should I be seeking out this information and why should I be listening to it? Right. Um, 
a lot of times when I give a seminar, I'll walk into the room. Most of the time they're filled with, the rooms are filled with builders and, and or architects. And one of the first questions I love to ask is, all right, how many people in the room are builders? You know, 50 ooh, hands ooh, go up, me. 60 hands go up. <laughs> and uh, there you go. And my second question is, okay, out of you 60 some odd builders, how many of you are planning on a goal of mediocrity? Like how many of you are sitting in out there and just want to be your average code built builder that just wants to get by and um, and and do his job but just barely clear? And the how hurdle, many hands right? do you and get? Obviously, nobody. When you ask that, yeah, you, you you never get anybody because nobody wants to be that guy. But I've I've learned because in the early days when I would lecture and and I would put up a detail, I would always get the oh well that doesn't fly here and that doesn't work here. Oh, you don't understand not in my market. this and right, not in my market. So I've I've tried to battle that and preempt that discussion by putting them on the spot as someone that is striving to get more information. I mean they're in the room, so that right there tells you that hey I've taken the first step to understand this, but but. Why, what's the, the, the important thing about this information? Well, it goes back to that one word, risk, right? If I have the right information, two things should happen. My risk should lower, and I can probably make more money doing what I'm doing. I always find it really interesting that when I talk to builders and we're pre-construction meeting and we're talking about, say, a topic like rain screen systems, putting the, the uh, siding on a furring strip, and some builders like take the stance of a homeowner and saying, well, that's going to cost you more money. You just made my well, siding package yeah, 10% more expensive, Steve. Right. So I'm, I'm, it's like, work with me here, Mr. Contractor, because I'm trying to get you to not only lower your risk, but to build a better product, which I think is what your ultimate goal is. And, and to, again, lower your risk and provide a happier client. I mean, that's a win-win-win on the getting the right information. Yeah, the interesting thing, too, is so, that if you could get that lower risk reflected by the real estate appraiser, that would be pretty cool, right? Because uh, not only do building professionals need to better understand buildings, people in the financial sector need to do a better job as well. You know, we, we struggle sometimes with uh, getting getting back the money we put into these risk reduction because the general market doesn't know how to distinguish a building that's less risky from one that's more or doesn't care. I, I Yeah, I have a direct story linked to that, Peter, because about uh, two years ago, we were embarking on a high performance project and the homeowners went to their bank. They. They got their um, comps from the bank, and the comps were spec homes down the street. And we were doing a custom high-performance home, which, yes, it does cost a little bit of money, but a lot of the decisions in there weren't necessarily performance or building science-related. They were custom home-related, et cetera. But anyways, the project was up, and um, I called a good friend of mine, Craig Foley, who is uh, right at the forefront of, of the real estate um, world and appraisal world in trying to get exactly what you just talked about, Peter, um, working in our favor. That if you build a better house, it should be recognized by all the people out there building it and the, or buying it and the realtors trying to sell it. And so 
Craig turned me on to a different appraiser, and I literally went, I met him, had a Panera Bread, we sat down, we unrolled the drawings, and I went from the footing through the roof and talked to him, and he made a, a one-page list of all the features that this house was. And believe it or not, the appraisal probably went up, I would say, almost 15% wow. on the number, just because he had the right information. And 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 I had the right information of having the right person to go to. Yeah, right? another interesting perspective on this is I was doing a two-day building science training up in northern New Hampshire some years ago. There's about 15 or 16 builders in the room. There's one guy in the back in a three-piece suit. And when we got introducing the builders in the front, the guy in the back said, well, I'm so-and-so from the local savings and loan. You know, I'm a, I'm a vice president of the bank. And all the builders turned around like, what the hell are you doing here? And he said, well, you know, we hold all of our mortgages. And therefore, I think it's important that we understand the true value of the building because we're holding the mortgage. And uh, by the end of the two-day session, two or three of the builders had cut a deal with that VP um, because, you know, that, that vice president said, your homes look more risky, look less risky. Therefore, I want to talk to you about financing them. So we can connect the finance with risk and take advantage of that. It's just, you know, you have to have the right uh, conditions with the lenders and the appraisers. And yet, when I talk to appraisers in my market, the fourth question I get asked every time is, and is there crown molding in the house? <laughs> and that is like one of the most terrifying things I can do for a, um, for a client is have to have that conversation with the appraiser. Because if, if you're reading off the same list as the other appraiser, and question number four is, tell me about the crown molding, and we're building more contemporary modern homes, uh, the, you know, three of the four projects that I have that are in uh, working with Steve, those aren't crown molding houses. Those houses don't aesthetically deserve crown molding. Mm -hmm. And yet those houses have R 40 walls with R nine windows in them. And we get no bump for that, but we get a hit because we don't have crown molding. Well, it, it's interesting that, you know, people, the consumers, tend to believe, understand, and question what we tell them to question or what realtors tell them to question. Um, a, a side story, I, I think you had told me years ago, Peter, that at Building Green, the the number one sustainable hit on their website was about yeah. bamboo flooring. Yep. I think that was, you know, so, so there you go. It's like in this wide world of sustainability, energy efficiency, what are consumers most worried about and concerned about? Bamboo flooring. So I'm I'm all for saving the panda and you know and using something that grows really fast and all that good stuff. But really, bamboo flooring becoming the number one, and it was by a large oh, yeah. margin too, right, Peter? It wasn't. Yeah, that's. It, exactly I have to take true. the controversial stance on this one too. Pandas are ugly. Can we just agree that just because there's a few of them doesn't make them cute? No, because I think they're <laughs> awesome. So Yeah, well, I'm going to let you two battle this out. I, I've been called a panda a couple times, so I can't. So I point, have to my point has because. been driven home. Thank you. <laughs> Ouch. So where do we go from here? But, what what is the What does the journey look like? 
I mean, we we're talking about I'm going to have less risk. I'm going to make sure that uh, we're building a better product. Where does the industry go and how do we how do we feed that to, to builders and decision makers? So even though you just insulted me, Jake, I'm, I'm actually going to throw you up on a pedestal because, you know, earlier in, the, in, the, in episode one there where you talked about how we met. Right. I find it very interesting when Peter and I and, and, and you, when we go out and lecture and people give you just like you said, you know, oh, you can't do that in my market. You can't do that here. Well, everybody, let's just take a look at Jake's construction company profile for a second. Right. Columbia, Missouri probably not the center of sustainability in the world, right? It's a beautiful place. I get it. But yeah, they're not down there breaking any records and they're certainly not the most. We're progressive for Missouri, but we're not progressive for the United States and certainly not progressive for the globe. For the United States. There you go. But, but so Jake comes to me, we go look at a few passive houses. We establish a relationship and start working together and guess what people there are people in missouri that search out jake call him specifically because of the kind of house that he builds so it's it's the perfect model when when people say well you can't sell triple glazed windows in in my market well how do you know have you ever had that conversation with the homeowner because i've done a lot of projects and people come to me for a high-performance home or a passive house, but they still don't know what a triple-glazed window is. We have to have that conversation and have the conversation on, well, what level of triple-glazed window, or in fact, is a triple-glazed window the right choice for that yeah, You know, when I was working with a really large uh, holding company for a bunch of different building projects, uh, building products, and we did uh, focus groups across the United States, I think it was six different, uh, locations, three different groups of buyers, potential buyers, uh, first-time buyers, move-up buyers, and luxury buyers. And in every single one of those focus groups, the facilitator was instructed not to bring up performance and just let the conversation go where it might. So for about 35 to 40 minutes, the conversation would be about like curb appeal and distance from the fire hydrant. And, and not once did anybody ever bring up performance unbidden. And then we told the facilitator, okay, now bring up the topic of the performance of the building. And in every single market for every single type of buyer, for the next 40 minutes, you couldn't get them to shut up about all the performance problems in their buildings. So the, the message there is that the most expensive thing people are ever going to buy and the biggest investment they're going to ever make, they don't connect it with performance. So the market opportunity is you can turn the conversation to how the building works pretty easily and have them think about it the same way they do buying a car, buying a laptop, buying a phone. They don't buy it on first price they, they, or first cost. They buy it on performance. So the market is hungry for performance as it's connected to their, their home or their uh, building that they work. They just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, exactly right, Peter. They don't know it. You know, when I'm when we're talking to people in the builder say, well, you know, you can't sell that in my market. And I go with the how, how, how do you not know? Or how do you how do you know that you can't sell that? Have you ever tried? It's like, who, who's in charge here? Who's the professional, right? We're the building professionals. We got hired to do to understand 
and because of our knowledge. So we should be giving that education. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Peter, because this house that got that higher appraisal, we, we went on, we built it, the builder did a beautiful job, we turned it over to the homeowner. Well, the homeowner has cocktail parties, and guess what the subject of his cocktail parties and dinner parties are? Come see my Shuko triple glaze windows. Look at this tilt-turn feature. Look at this lift-and-slide door. This is a 500-pound door that's moving with one finger. Like, they, they love to talk about this stuff, but they couldn't talk about it unless they had the education there, right? It's, it's Information is, is such an important part of what we do, and getting the right information, obviously, is, is even more important. And... That's why I'm, I'm so excited about, you know, being on this podcast and, and working with the two of you, because I think with the three of us, the amount of time, the experience and the effort that and, and the passion for what we do, I think it's it, it's going to come out certainly in, in the podcast. But hopefully we become a really good resource where we take a deep dive into looking at things and come out of there at the end of the podcast with a little tidbit that you can go back into, you know, your business and say, okay, maybe I can't implement that a hundred percent, but let's start at 50%. And I think that the three of us would agree that we're not going to guarantee you, we give you the right information. We're going to give you the information as we see it. Yeah. And, uh, just one real quick reference. There's a great video on YouTube called if cars were built like houses you can Google that and pull it up. It's a great sort of snippet. Uh, you can even use it with your customers about how to get them to change the conversation into performance. Again, that's if cars were built like houses. It's only like two or three minutes, but it's really great. I think I'll be sure to check. That I out. think I'm, I'm that here was for you, uh... Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That was a uh, that was a good point for us to uh, call it a podcast. I think that we've made it clear what our intentions are. We've made it clear what our fears are for the industry when it comes to decision making. I think that uh, I speak for both these guys when I say thank you for listening. Does anybody have anything uh, closing thought that they want to add besides pandas are cute? Keep on unbuilding it. Gotta love the pandas. Okay. Till next time, thanks for listening to the Unbuild It podcast. I'm Jake Bruton, jake.bruton on Instagram. Steve Basic, Steve Basic Architect on Instagram. And uh, Peter doesn't know what a computer is, so we... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Peter's uh, Building Right Peter on Instagram. And there might be an underscore in there, too, but you'll find it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys.